0: A male gibbon's belligerence toward neighboring adult males can be considered mostly parental investment. A male normally has only one mate, so his belligerence does not deprive other males of mates. The substantial male parental investment and monogamy Quote unquote, apparently are responsible for the lack of male to female differences. The adult female being, in various gibbon species, 93 to 103 percent the size of the adult male. Schultz, 1969. Talk of why or whether. Humans pair bond like gibbons strikes me as belonging to the same realm of discourse as talk of why the sea is boiling hot and whether pigs have wings. Since intelligent, responsible, and experienced scholars seem to believe that humans are gibbon-like and that marriage is based on a sexual tie, I assume that this way of describing human relationships in some measure reflects their personal and professional experiences. But their belief is the only evidence I know of in favor of these views. The lexicon of the English language is woefully inadequate to reflect accurately the texture of human experience. For example, even to refer directly to the common and interesting phenomenon of déjà vu necessitates borrowing from another language. And there is no word for the emotional conflict between getting up to urinate, and going back to sleep. English does, however, contain hundreds of words that are useful in describing the thoughts, feelings, and behaviors associated with marriage and with other relations among men and women. And written communication consists not of single words but of sentences, paragraphs, articles, and books. The nature of marriage and the family has been described at length in the works of artists and social scientists. While the range of feeling and the diversity of traditional practices recorded in these works is far greater than any one person could experience. No doubt, complexity and subtlety of thought, feeling, and action inevitably must be sacrificed if a written record is to be made at all. It is quite conceivable that progress in the study of marriage will entail expanding the lexicon used to describe human experiences and relationships. But to shrink the present vocabulary to one phrase, pair-bond, and to imagine that in so doing one is being scientific, subsuming humans under principles that account for the data on non-human animals is simply to delude oneself. The nature and origin of the human family have always been central concerns of anthropology. Controversies still exist about such matters as the universality of the family. Whether it has changed since its inception, the correct definition of family And so forth. But technical arrangements, rather technical disagreements among specialists, are largely irrelevant to the present discussion of the evolution of human sexuality and the loss of estrus. What is relevant, however, is the fact that no anthropological specialist maintains that the human family is analogous to the Gibbon family, or that marriage is a pair bond cemented by sexual imprinting. To clarify this point, I shall briefly review two recent discussions of marriage and the family, that of Stevens, 1963, and Go, 1971. Stevens defines the family as a social arrangement based on marriage and the marriage contract, including recognition of the rights and duties of parenthood, common residence for husband, wife, and children, and reciprocal economic obligations between husband and wife. Marriage is a socially legitimate sexual union begun with a public public announcement and undertaken with some idea of permanence. It is assumed with a more or less explicit marriage contract, which entails reciprocal rights and obligations between spouses and between the spouses and their future children. Stevens discusses a number of problems in applying these definitions. The vagueness of some of the terms. The difficulty in assessing whether there is intent to marry permanently in societies with very high divorce rates. The inadequate data provided by many ethnographers The existence of societies in which the nuclear family is not a distinct economic entity, but is embedded in an extended family economic unit. The frequent economic division of families and societies with unilineal kin groups, the fact that wives are often partially or wholly self-supporting, the arbitrariness inherent in deciding how far from the mother and children a father can live and still be considered to be in common residence with them, the frequency with which boys do not live with their parents, and the attenuated rights of a father over his children in some matrilineal societies. Stevens concludes that the family is universal, or at least almost universal, and that, quote, everywhere or almost everywhere, these three elements' nuclear family, extended kinship, and incest taboos run through human societies like a scarlet thread, giving some degree of sameness everywhere to the conditions of mating, child rearing, and social placement. The family unquestionably is universal among living hunter-gatherers, and almost certainly existed among our ancestors for a very long time. Go 1971, defines the family, which she believes exists in all societies as, quote, A married couple or other group of adult kinsfolk who cooperate economically and in the upbringing of children, and all or most of whom share a common dwelling. Go notes that the family implies four other universals incest taboos, a division of labor based on gender socially recognized marriage from which springs social fatherhood and the higher status of men and their, quote, authority over the women of their families, although older women may have influence even some authority over junior men, unquote. Needless to say, sexual, rather, debates about the relations between sexuality and marriage have a long history. Elwin, 1968, reviews the disagreements on this matter in the early 20th century between Ellis and Westermark, on the other hand, and Brifolk, rather Brifolt, on the other. Ellis and Westermark argued that boys and girls who are brought up together from infancy develop feelings of affection for one another that inhibit sexual arousal, hence the failure of the pairing instinct to manifest itself in these circumstances. Brefault did not deny that familiarity dulls the edge of lust, But he contended that to believe that marriage is founded on sexual feelings is to confound the mating instinct with the sexual impulse. It is on companionship and affection and not on sexual desire that the success of permanent sexual association depends, cited in Elwin, 1968. Both sides found support for their views in the available literature on pre-literate peoples, but Elwyn notes that, quote, their arguments are weightier than their authorities, unquote. To analyze the effects of childhood association on later feelings and on marriage would entail distinguishing the effects of various kinds of quote-unquote association at different ages. Recent evidence from kibbutzis and elsewhere indicates that marriage are unlikely to occur or if they occur to succeed between people who have had certain kinds of intense childhood associations but these data are not necessarily pertinent to the general question of the relationship between sexual sexuality and marriage nor do they necessarily refute Briefault's position a glimpse of the variety of possible relationships among sex, affection, and marriage can be obtained by considering four cases from the ethnographic record, the Mangayans, the Trobrianders, the Muria, and the Kagatla. These were selected because they are among the few well-documented studies of human sexuality they illustrate diversity and the ethnographers explicitly deal with the matters at hand mangayan attitudes about these matters are extensively discussed by marshall 1971 mangayans it will be recalled begin at puberty to have frequent sexual intercourse with a variety of partners. There is no connection between willingness to copulate with a person and affection and the degree of passion a couple experiences is related to competence in sexual techniques, not emotional involvement. Boys compete with one another to copulate with the greatest number of girls and to induce the greatest number of female orgasms. Marriages arranged by parents without consulting the principles are infrequent today. Although they were common in the past, but parents are involved nonetheless and their considerations are perhaps much like parents' considerations elsewhere. For example, quote, Complicating kinship considerations in arranging marriages are questions of land ownership and land tenure. Parents weigh advantages of the consolidation of property against disadvantages of distant kin connections. Given the extreme emphasis that mangaeans place on sexual intercourse, sexual compatibility naturally is a factor, although by no means overriding in a young person's choice of marriage partner, but it is never problematical since compatibility always has been tested before marriage. Other considerations are a girl's facial beauty, money, social standing, evidences of industry. A boy may try to make himself attractive as a potential husband by such means as planting a great many tarot stalks. And a girl may attempt to win a reputation as a mat maker and hard worker around the house. Marshall quotes a middle aged Mangayan school teacher's advice to a younger colleague on the desirability of marriage. Begin of excerpt Marriage is a good thing. A young man. spends his time going about doing nothing during the day. When he comes home, there is nothing waiting for him to eat. But when you are married, the wife has food for you, whatever the time of day you get home. Also, as an unmarried man, you can't study, as your mind is on the girls all the time. Unquote. The variation in motives for marriage is summed up by the Mangayan who said, quote, Some Maori marry only to get a pretty face. Some want only a sexual partner and care nothing for cooking ability. Some want to get the girl's salary. And some marry to get into a good family and to get a smart wife. Unquote. Sexual intercourse remains frequent after a marriage, but is no longer a central focus of life. Begin of excerpt. As a rite of passage, marriage brings social recognition of a significant change. The termination of that major stage in the male life cycle, which was initiated by the super incision rite of passage. That high period is in later years recalled by the reflective phrase, I toku to quote, in my time, unquote. Referring back to a time when a man was both strongest for work and strongest for chasing women the one strength is diminished by aging and the loss of physical powers, the latter is cut off by marriage. The married man no longer emphasizes the number of times he can bring his partner to orgasm but instead whether he can copulate every night of the week. Men say that they want to have intercourse more frequently than women do and they believe that marriage gives them the right to copulate whenever they want to. They may say badger, rather, they may badger or even beat their wives for failure to comply. Marshall notes, however, that, quote, marriage and the commitment presence of, rather, the concomitant presence of children and the increasing need for continuous physical exertion of work reduce the number of climactic acts. There is also a de- decrease in the talk, stroking, and for today's younger couples, the kissing between partners, unquote. Little affection apparently exists between young married couples, but this does not prevent the husband and wife from becoming effective economic partners or from cooperating in decision-making. Mangayans do not have the European concept of love. The components of affection and companionship which may characterize the European use of the term love puzzled the Mangeans when we discussed the term. Informants state that when the Maori gets old, that's the time to get close to his wife. But this is when they are over 50 years of age, and some Maori have no good feeling between husband and wife even then, for they feel only i sexual jealousy, unquote. Thus, a deep emotional attachment may or may not develop among long-married couples when the frequency of intercourse has markedly waned, but sexual jealousy is a prominent marital emotion. In summary, Regular sexual activity and sexual compatibility are important to married man as they are to unmarried man But sex is not associated with affection, and neither sex nor affection is the basis of marriage. Fundamental to Mangayan marriage is economic cooperation between the partners and mutual sexual jealousy. Malinowski, 1929, discusses the relations between sex and marriage in the Trobriand Islands, a coral archipelago in Melanesia. Trobriand boys and girls spend most of their time playing without adult supervision or interference and are unrestricted in sexual activity. Girls begin copulating between the ages of 6 and 8, boys between 10 and 12. Malinowski comments that, quote, everyone, has a great deal of freedom and many opportunities for sexual experience. Not only need no one live with impulses unsatisfied, but there is also a wide range of choice and opportunity. Unquote. As boys and girls grow older, sexual liaisons tend to become more intense and to last longer. Personal preferences, quote, may be based on true sexual passion or else on an affinity of characters, unquote. Sooner or later, the man decides to stabilize one of his liaisons by marriage. Malinowski notes that although they already possess each other sexually. Individuals spontaneously desire marriage. And he also notes that there is a customary pressure toward marriage. But why, asks Malinowski, in a society where marriage adds nothing to sexual freedom and indeed takes a great deal away from it, Where two lovers can possess each other as long as they like without legal obligation, do they still wish to be bound in marriage? The motives of the man and the woman differ. A man does not have full status in social life until he is married. He has no household of his own and he is debarred from many privileges. Hence, except for the physically and mentally handicapped, all mature Trobrianders marry. Second, the wife's family provides her husband with a dowry and a yearly tribute in staple food. If a man is of high rank, he requires this tribute to finance ceremonial enterprises and festivities. Thus a man, especially if he be of rank and importance, is compelled to marry. For apart from the fact that his economic position is strengthened by the income received from his wife's family, he obtains full social status only by entering the group of tobai bai Gile, married men third a man gains the services of a wife and the satisfactions of having his own children although in the trobrian islands biological paternity is not acknowledged and his wife's children will not continue his line Fourth, the Trobriand man is personally devoted to his future wife, which prompts him to, quote, make certain of, of her by means of a permanent tie, which shall be binding under the tribal law, unquote. Even by early adolescence, the boy has developed, quote, a desire to retain the fidelity and exclusive affection of the loved one, at least for a time." Unquote. Although he, quote, does not feel obliged to reciprocate this fidelity, unquote. Tro Bryant males are extremely sexually jealous of their mates. A man may kill his wife for adultery, but more commonly he thrashes her or sulks. Marriage provides a public support for the men. Marriage provides public support. Sulk for the man's desire that his wife remain faithful to him. The woman, on the other hand, has no economic inducement to marry. Her motives are mainly personal affection and the desire to have children in wedlock. In contrast to Mangayan marriages, then, mutual love is a major determinant of the choice of a mate. the decision to marry when you're not nervous. Other, In the Trobrine Islands, although marriage can occur only with the consent of the girl's family, as in Mangaya, however, wealth and social status are often important determinants of mate choice. Sexual activity tends to be reduced by marriage and sexual jealousy, especially male jealousy. Play play a very...